You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit shorebreakchurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at shorebreakchurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. Aloha. How you guys doing? Hey, it's so good to be back with you. And that is an understatement. I'm not going to lie. I missed you guys. But it's great to be back. My name is Travis. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Mahalo's for joining us here at Shorebreak this morning. Uh, if you're new, we really are a collection of people with different backgrounds, different stories on different journeys, yet here collectively gathering together as God's people to seek to make much of the name of Jesus. And so while we may be very different in, in uh, the things that we do and the activities throughout the week, our ethnicity, our background, our stories, we are all united under the banner, under the name of Jesus. And that truth is what unifies us, is what draws us together as a church community. And so we are humbled and thankful that you are here, and we would pray that you would join this church community and be part of the story that God is using for Shorebreak and reaching Kona and in reaching this island. And so if you have more questions about Jesus, more questions about the church, make sure you go out to the connect table at the end of the worship gathering. We'll have someone there who'd be excited to talk to you about all the things that are happening there. And um, as you know, we are in the midst of an incredible series here in 1 John. This will be our last message in 1 John for a little while as we are in the Christmas season. So I guess it's uh, late enough to say Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I can't get around myself to saying it like in November, not going to lie, before Thanksgiving. Did you guys notice like Costco, they had, I'm digressing right now, but Costco had Christmas trees and Christmas decorations up, I think around the end of September, beginning of October. That's absurd, just so you know. And some of you are nerdy enough, you actually bought things then and you had it up then. God bless you. I love you. Um, This is not my, my thing, but... Uh, we are uh, in the midst of the series here in First John, and what a blessing it was to hear from the other guys on our team, Pastor Leo and Pastor Toby. Were you blessed by them? I was blessed. I listened, tuned in on the podcast, and it is so amazing to have other men in the house who can preach and declare the word of God and other people who come alongside and support the work of the ministry. And so, um, like I said, it's really good to be back. I We went back to... Um, we, we went to, for a couple of weeks to Southern California and saw family and friends, and the island has rubbed off on me so much, I couldn't remember the mainland handshake. I was just doing the, the, our, our brother, uh, you know, all the things that we do here, and you know, every place has a special handshake, a unique subculture to it, and I could not remember. So I'm like, all right, this, this is awesome. I, I, you know, and people are like, why are you touching me weird and holding me? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. And so it's... It is so good to be back with you. Last week, though, Pastor Leo shared with us and we discovered from 1 John chapter 3 that we are in the the trenches of the battle of warfare for gospel fidelity. And that John is not declaring a new message to us so that we should not fall for another gospel because there is no new gospel. 
No new gospel message to be declared. This message has its roots and has its origins um, back, of course, all the way to really, you could say, Genesis 3, where God promised the, the woman when she and the man, when they sinned, that God would one day crush the head of the serpent. And so the gospel immediately being given a little glimpse there is beginning to unfold. And then the fullness of the gospel is when Jesus incarnates the Christmas story, the, 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 the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And so from what he declared, from what was promised before the world was created, this gospel is old and original, transforming and powerful, but if someone comes along and says, oh, we have a new gospel, new things we want to share with you, n- not the case. And make no mistake about it, love comes from God. That is the gospel, that love comes from God. And then God's love flows through us. And as Pastor Leo talked about, this watermark of genuine faith, of genuine gospel transformation is the sacrificial love that God has given to us that now we share and give to one another that we would love one another, that we would have sacrificial, selfless love in loving our brothers and our sisters in the Lord. And the way this love is expressed is not just on a Sunday morning. You know that, right? That Sunday morning is not the only expression of love that that God's covenant people share with one another, but that we as his covenant people enter into community throughout the week. We do life with each other, and those are other avenues where we're able to express this love. It's hard to love someone when you don't know them. And that's why we need to know and be known in community, loving one another, letting this be expressed in the people of God. And so the parallel given to to polarize this type of love versus hatred was Cain and Abel, right? As we know, Cain killed Abel because Cain was not a man of faith. Cain could not have the love that comes from God, so Cain could not love his brother in the purest sense. He did not truly love, and the result of not having love was murder. Now, I'm not saying that people who don't know God are incapable of loving in one way or another. However, there is something to be said that there is a new love that is birthed within us when God does that work in us in regeneration. We find ourselves, maybe you found that too, that in the story of your rebirth, of you being saved, you all of a sudden love things that you never loved before. You're like, what's going on? I didn't use that. For me, I didn't care about people that much. I cared about myself. And all of a sudden I get saved and I'm like, I'm crying for someone? No, that, what? Are you kidding me? And I have compassion and love and for people and that, that's what happens. But faith was what Abel had. And so Abel's sacrifice was accepted before God, but Cain did not have faith. Therefore, did not have love. And the ultimate Sin, which is, could be furthest from love, you could say, is murder. And that's what Cain did. And so there's really no medium between light and darkness, righteousness and lawlessness, love or hate. Abel was marked by love. Cain was watermarked by hatred. So true love, though, we know, is fulfilled perfectly in Jesus. 
Jesus is the full embodiment of love. He is the expression of love. He is love. Jesus loves like no other because Jesus himself is perfectly sinless. And so we as Christians love like Jesus loved. That is what we should do. If we are saying, I'm a follower of Jesus and Jesus loved this in these radical ways, even his enemies Jesus loved, and we can't even stand our enemies, there's going to be some tension there with what we proclaim and how we live and what we say we believe. We should love as Jesus loved. Love the things that he loves. Looking for opportunities to love one another. A love that is genuine and sacrificial. And so now we find ourselves in verse 19. And let's stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to finish chapter 3 today. This is the word of the Lord. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God, he is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. By this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has given us. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And that no matter where we are at in our lives this morning, our journeys, our stories, the things that you're doing in and through us, the questions that we have, the struggles that we wrestle with, may King Jesus be the Prince of Peace over our lives. May in this place, God, you would manifest and send your spirit to do a work of revealing the glory of Jesus, the Christmas story, the realities of all that you have done for us. And ultimately, God, would you open up the eyes of our hearts to your greatness. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh upon this place this morning. Speak through the words that I would share, may they bring glory to your name. May all of us receive the word that you would have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Right now, right now, in this moment, I want you to imagine that day when you will stand before God. Now, just so you know, that that day is coming. It is appointed once for man to die, and then comes the judgment. We die, 
Whether we know it or not, no one dies early. We die on the day of our appointment that God has sovereignly given. And when we die in that moment, we will stand before God. And and when you see the glory of God and you see who you are, what emotions stir through your mind as you dwell upon that impending reality? What emotions are evoked? For some, excitement. Maybe for others, fear. Right now, do you feel fearful or reassured at that impending reality? Condemned or confident? Doubtful or hopeful? It is the desire of the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, and the power of God's Spirit moving through this letter that we would understand these truths and that in understanding these truths that we've just read, that we would have a renewed confidence this morning. And if your tank of confidence, you've come in here and and it's pretty empty, low, if you run your car like how I run my car, fumes all the time, where's the closest gas station? Maybe you're in need of a filling up of confidence, not in yourself, of course, in God, and we'll unpack that. If you don't have it, we are told in these verses how to receive it. If you struggle with it, the remedy is found in these truths as well. One of my favorite, one of our favorite movies in our household right now is the movie Paddington. And it's, um, it's, it's actually a really uh, great movie. It's funny. It's got good humor. And uh, if you love awkward British humor, it's good. And so um, our, our kids really like the movie. And, and really the plot to briefly, if you haven't seen Paddington, because I'm assuming some of you probably haven't. If I didn't have kids, I would not have saw Paddington either. And so it's this story about this this rare species of bear that lives in this, this jungle. And because of a catastrophic earthquake that happened, this bear uh, is sent off to move to London where it would be safer and people would welcome him in. So the scene takes place though where this bear is having to adapt to an entirely new culture, a new language, a new people, a new way of life. And I love this scene in the movie as he's trying to adapt and understand uh, where he is. He, the, f- the family, they're going somewhere. That's the family that has, I, I don't want to spoil it f- for you, but the family that uh, is temporarily holding him, watching over him, takes him. And so they're going somewhere and they go down on an escalator. Now this bear, Paddington, he's never been on an escalator. And so he reads the sign before he gets on the escalator as he's hesitant dogs must be carried on escalator. So the the scene immediately switches to him grabbing some random dog, carrying the dog, and going down the escalator, right? And it's funny. It's really a great scene that happens in this movie. And then then as he's going down the escalator, uh, he sees stand right. The next sign he sees is stand right. Now, of course, that's because in busy cities, people stand right because the people who are walking down the escalator can go to the left. And so you know what he does to stand right? He just does this. So he's holding the dog, standing right, going down the escalator. Now, was he wrong to carry the dog? 
I promise we're going somewhere with this, okay? <laughs> was he wrong to carry the dog? No. See, he was not wrong for carrying a dog. That, that, those instructions could be interpreted in different ways, and there's really no wrong way to uh, interpret that. If you have a dog, you should carry your dog, otherwise the leash gets caught and it just becomes a nasty mess. Or you must carry the dog in order to ride the escalator. No interpretation is necessarily wrong. It's, it's really left up to the person interpreting those things. And this thing that is called, it's a matter of understanding. It's not that one is wrong and one is right. Both are right, one is better. That's called the double meaning. And we actually, in verse 19 and verse 20, arrive at a double meaning. Some of you read ahead before uh, the sermon and, you know, you kind of see, like, our, what, what's, what's, what are we going to be looking at? What are we going to be studying? Well, some of you, maybe you've read ahead and you're like, oh, I cannot wait for this message. I can't wait to hear what we read. So let's look at the double meaning. We have verse 19, by this we know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. So one way to understand and, and take these truths in is when we are weak, do not lose heart. When you find that you do not have confidence, God is greater than your heart. His understanding of your heart is greater than the understanding that you have of your own heart. God knows all of our motives, all of our desires, all of the things th that our heart pursues. And so while our heart condemns us, God is the one who truly knows our heart. His judgments are better than ours. And we as sinful man and with our conscience can maybe, because we are fallible, can bring a judgment upon our hearts that is unjust, but God is just. God knows. His judgments are better than ours, especially when it comes to your heart. Now that's one way of understanding it. If you understand verse, that, verse 19 that way, I'm not saying you're wrong, but you're wrong. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's not, that's not fair at all. Right? Why? Why are you not wrong to understand that? Because there is a double meaning here. It could mean that. And I think if you took it to mean that, none of those things which we just said are untrue. And so you don't have to like, if you're taking notes, like, oh, you got to scratch that out. Wrong. That's all right. I think God and his spirit can use those verses in such a way to bring comfort to you. Because it's a double meaning, which one is the most accurate? If one is not wrong, which one is most true? Which one would be most accurate? Well, we've read in this same chapter, I want us to kind of recollect what we've been reading so far in context, because everything comes down to where do these first verses fit into the bigger story, the bigger narrative that God is bringing here. Where do they fit in? Look at, look at verse 8 of chapter 3. We're looking at watermarks here. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. That's in pretty intense language there. 
you're practicing sinning, you're of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed, God's seed abides in him. Let's go down to verse 12. Do you see the warnings that are given here? Do you see the context that we should be introspective in seeing really the way we are living out our lives? Verse 12. We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Let's go down to verse 15 now. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now, the last one, let's look at, this is context, the warnings. Do you see the constant warning, the constant conviction? The con- like, you better be looking at yourself. These things better not be in your life. Otherwise, you do not bear the watermark of being a true believer in Jesus. Verse 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. In context, we are sitting in, camping in sobering, convictional, warning territory. So you can take verse 19 as a comfort. We'll give you that. But is that the context? See, if we don't have these watermarks that we've just read here in all these verses, then it doesn't matter what we say. We can talk all day long. I love Jesus. He's my best friend. We're BFF. I hang out. We talk. We pray. I love him. But if our life is saying otherwise, then John is saying you don't know him. You don't bear the watermark. You are not genuine. And I want you to see that verse 19 in this double meaning, I believe verse 19 is tied back to that reality. Look at verse 19. By this, by what? By all the warnings that we've just read previously before this. By having true love. In other words, what John is trying to say here in verse 19 and verse 20, this is how you can know you're in the truth. If we are not in the truth, verse, then we read in verse 20, for whenever our heart condemns us, do you see the, the different flavor this takes, the different angle? Okay, in warning, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. So, Of the double meaning, I believe the most accurate way to understand this is in context. If we are not in the truth, if we do not love God and then in loving God love one another, our heart condemns us. We are self-condemning, self-destructive, entirely, completely depraved souls. In a sinful, depraved state, And our conscience affirms this condemnation. 
And then some, the Bible even says, we're not talking about that in context, some have sinned and gone so far wicked that their conscience is seared and they don't even feel guilty or condemned for their sin. So if then our heart sees our own sin and our hearts condemn us, how much more does a righteous God see all the activity that happens within our hearts and then our God brings pure, holy, righteous condemnation upon our already self-condemned hearts. You can take whichever you believe. We're not going to fight over it. However, I believe the latter is the more accurate and true, true to the context, the true way, the best way to interpret what's happening here. And see, in our culture, our heart is the motivation for everything we do. We place the heart above all other things, right? We say things like, and grandma means well, tutu means well, when she tells us these things, follow your heart. Your heart will lead you where you are supposed to go. Your heart will let you know what's right, and your heart will let you know what's wrong. Even religious and spiritual people, non-Christians, often use this language of feeling and referring to our hearts as a way for compass and guiding our life. Lenka, who is an Australian singer and songwriter, says in our, her song, I don't listen to her, so don't judge me, um, but she says in her, her, this song she wrote, My Heart Skips a Beat, it's interesting. This is what pop culture is saying. My heart is playing tricks on me and it's building bricks on me. I can't break through and I can't face you. So here is a wealthy, successful singer-songwriter saying, acknowledging that her heart condemns her. It plays tricks on her. It's one brick on top of another, bringing more weight and more condemnation upon her. I love what Bill, Mer Bill Murray, the comedian, said. I followed my heart, and it led me to the fridge. <laughs> A lot of us are like, amen. Amen. See, see, we in our culture place so much on our hearts. The heart is above all other things. It's the place where decisions are made, passions are birthed, um, uh, direction and, and maps for our life are created. Sadly, many people place the heart above all other things, but the Bible, speaking of the unregenerate heart, has nothing good to say at all. Jeremiah 17.9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Okay, there are a lot of deceitful things happening in this world, right? ISIS creating fake passports, shootings in Southern California, uh, people doing deceitful and wicked things, not just major things that are read on the, the news of, of people cheating on their spouses and celebrities doing this and politicians saying that. But, but even uh, corporations and banks and business, all of the deceit that happens in the world, some of us are just dis disheartened by it. But you know, all of those things are slim in comparison to the deceitfulness of our own hearts. 
The heart is deceitful, not above some things, above all things. And he goes on to say, Jeremiah the prophet, it is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can understand it? Who can understand it? Rhetorical question there. Who can it? Can, can we understand our hearts? Only God. So let's draw our attention back to verse 20 then, because this is exactly what John is saying. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. So when it comes to the knowledge of your heart, you need to hear me on this. There is not a corner, there is not a door shut in one of the rooms of your heart that God's light does not shine in and see. There is not a desire, not a decision, not a love of your heart that God is unaware of because he knows everything. In fact, there are motives that we've had that we don't even understand and God's like, I know your true motive in that. He knows everything, every craving, every direction, everything that our heart condemns us. God understands it all because he knows everything. Be very wary about your heart. Is it not the same heart that we often use as a compass for life? The same heart that brings condemnation upon us when we arrive at the destination? We go to our hearts to look for direction of where we should go, what we should believe, how we should live, what we should do. And then we're like, all right, I'm going to follow my heart. And then when our heart takes us there, it, we, we feel tricked. It's one brick on top of another and we live in the condemnation. And it's just this endless cycle of following our heart. And when we arrive at the destination, our heart condemns us. If we are looking for the heart of the problem, the heart of our problem is the problem with our heart. Our heart condemns us. And if our heart condemns us, how much more does our great God see the true, know the true vital signs of our hearts? And this is why we've been given this incredible declaration again in verse 20. I want you to underline that, mark that, put that in your notes. It's the middle of verse 20. God is greater than our heart. God is greater than your heart. His judgments are perfect. The nucleus of your life is not your heart, but the greatness and the glory of God. The center, the motivations of all the things that happen in your heart, it's not about your heart. It's all about the glory of God. So do not follow your heart. You guard your heart. It's my hope that this would place you, put you in a place where you say, if God truly is this great and my heart condemns me, then I don't want the condemnation of my own heart, let alone the condemnation and judgments of God. 
the hard heart, the unregenerate heart, the heart without the spirit of God is self-condemning and is also under the condemnation of God who is far greater than our hearts. But right after the heels of this sobering reality converses now, thankfully with a little bit of comfort, some encouragement, some good news, some gospel. Look at verse 21. Beloved. In other words, if we feel like what has just been said is unloving, John reminds us, no, I'm saying this because I'm loving, because I love you. I'm willing to say the hard things because I care for you. Beloved. If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. We get of confidence before God. See, condemnation... We, we need to make this, this, this clarity as Christians wrestling in, in, in the struggles of this world. We need to make this, this, this distinction. Condemnation <clears throat> is not mainly a state of mind, okay? Now, a state of mind is simply just means emotions. Condemnation is not mainly a state of mind, your emotions. Condemnation is a state of being. Condemnation is a citizenship, Condemnation is either you are not condemned in the light of Christ or you are condemned in the darkness of the kingdom of darkness and following Satan and all of his activity, doing the will of him. That's what the scriptures say. So some should have condemnation of their hearts because they're deceived. Maybe even in John's day, some should have condemnation of their hearts like the Gnostics but they don't because their conscience is dark. And some should not have condemnation because they are in Christ, but they do. So you and your heart need to make the clear distinction is what I'm experiencing emotionally, uh, the reality of where, of my state of being. Just because you feel your state of being, your your. Your state of feeling is, is maybe feels like you're in condemnation, but the reality is many of you as Christians are living in that emotional state of condemnation when in reality your citizenship is in heaven. You don't need to live in the condemnation that Jesus saved you from, that, that your heart doesn't need to condemn you any longer because you're not condemned by God. So if you have condemnation and you are in Christ, this is why John has given us a statement, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. God in his word is trying to reassure, and I'm just pulling that word, look, from verse 19, reassure. God is trying to reassure our hearts standing before God. Now, I'm not saying, again, I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Emotions matter in Christianity. A lot of people think, oh, emotions don't matter. But emotions flow from a reality. They don't determine that reality. 
So if our state of being is in the light and the glory of God's kingdom, then should that not affect our emotion? And I'm not saying you're never going to be depressed, you're never going to feel good. I'm not saying that. If that was the case, then John would never have to write this, right? We don't have to say these truths. The only way we can have confidence before God is because God, hear me, is greater than our hearts. Do you see that? The only way you can ever have confidence before God is from God because God is greater than your heart. God is greater. God is greater. God is greater than your heart. Your life is not centered upon you. It's centered upon him. The the center of your being is not your emotional state and the things that are happening within your heart. It is the glory of God and his greatness. God can conquer any heart. God will win over the lost heart. God can melt the heart of stone into a heart of flesh. And you need to hear me on this. No will or desire of man is more powerful than God who is greater. Because in context, God is greater than our hearts. Which is why when I pray for my uncle, and I've shared the story with some of you just in, in private. My uncle has made his choice to not love God. He's made his choice to not love God. So then what am I praying for? For him to change his mind? No, I'm praying for God who is greater than the heart of man to regenerate his lost soul. That's what we believe. This is what the Bible, it's not my words, this is the Bible. God is greater than your heart. So right now, if you're sitting in here, your conscience is seared. You don't want anything to do with God. You got invited here and you got tricked or you just don't want to be here because you're making someone else happy. Hear me in this moment. God is greater than your heart. You're in a, you better be careful in this place. When the spirit of God moves through the declaration of his word by his power for his glory, he does the most incredible things. In fact, some of you are like, I, I didn't deserve to be saved. I had a hard heart towards God, and God did this great work in me. He's done this great work in you, right? Yes. So the rest of us are in a testament to the reality that God is greater than our hearts because our hearts were going this way. And here comes God and his grace. Now, isn't this interesting? The initial, original, the, the first understanding of this, bringing comfort, was not the accurate understanding, the most accurate understanding. But the latter, which was a convictional understanding, was, was probably the most truthful interpretation, of this, but yet now we're being comforted. Because it's an act of his grace. Beloved, God is greater than your heart. So, which means our state of being means we have no condemnation. The God of Do you guys see here in this text, the God of all creation is going out of his way to give you confidence, to remind you that you are not condemned. May that reality that you are not condemned not just be a truth you've logged in up here, but may that sink into your soul. May it change you from the inside out. Romans 8.1. You would do well to memorize and to understand this verse if you do not know it. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Christian, you're not condemned. Your emotional state may be 
toying with you. You may be in some sort of self-afflicting, weird, hyper-spiritual place in your Christian. You're not condemned, Christian. When we realize we are not condemned, we take hold of this reality, we are given a renewed confidence in God. And this confidence is something you know. And, and a lot of people like to keep theology up here, but listen, this renewed confidence is something experienced. That we would boldly approach the throne of his grace. You can know the greatness of God in such a way that it gives you a godly confidence But never look to your confidence within. Always look to him for your source of confidence. The very one you need to have confidence to stand before him is also the very one who is your source of confidence. So as you place your confidence in him, you find yourself drawing nearer and nearer and nearer. But then if you place your confidence in yourself and then try to go before him, is that not offensive to God? Robert Murray McShay said, this is so good, you should write this down. Learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely. Setting your eyes upon the greatness of God. By you setting your eyes upon the greatness of God, how can you not grow in godly confidence? John gives no other option for us as Christians. And if you don't have this confidence in your heart, if you are not right with God, if your heart is not right with God, I want you to run after, pursue, look, believe on these truths that we read in verse 23. And this is his commandment. This is the commandment of God that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. If we believe in the name of Jesus Christ, if your heart is condemned or if your conscience is so marred that you don't feel like you can even become a Christian loving God and loving one another, God's spirit produces the watermark of obeying God's commands. That's what we're told here. God's spirit produces the watermarks to obey his commands. And one of the part of that obedience of obeying his commands, which is birthed by the spirit of God, is believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you never have to muster up within yourself the ability to have faith. Faith is something that happens like when Jesus said in John chapter three, man must be born again. Well, how is man born again? Well, the spirit goes where it wishes. You do not come from, you do not know where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Have a spiritual rebirth. Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What I love is our God can overcome condemned hearts. God can overthrow your wicked heart. And when you lack the watermark of love, God can give you a new one, a new heart.
This is regeneration. So let me talk to the unbelievers here in closing. God commands you to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and that in believing in the name of Jesus Christ, you would love one another. You would love God and you would love God's people. Otherwise, your heart is condemned and nothing nothing of your own heart's condemnation is in comparison to the condemnation that will come from God on Judgment Day. Believer, Christian, is there an area you need to confess before God? And I've been asking myself this. Or have calluses grown over our tender hearts? But the love and the grace of God melt away that callus that wasn't there when you were saved. Ask God to give you a tender heart again. God knows everything. God knows your heart anyway. And he is greater than your heart. Come to him and his spirit will sand down all the things, all the rough edges that you've built up from sin. But right now in this moment, in life, imagine the day when you will stand before God. What emotions are evoked? I hope it's confidence and all that Christ has done for you. Have your confidence in God renewed. See, the problem of our heart, the heart of our problem really is the problem of our heart and the remedy for that problem is the greatness of God. Jesus, thank you that you pour out your spirit, that you move in our souls, that you replace our heart of stone and you give hearts of flesh. And I pray that right now by the, your grace, that God, you would begin to do that work in souls in here this morning. And so if, as we're praying, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, God's command to you is that you would believe in the name of, the son, of his son, Jesus Christ. That you would love God and that in loving God, you would one another. That is what God would have for you. Respond to the gift of salvation. Respond to the movement of the Holy Spirit by placing your faith and your trust in Jesus. Confess. Let him know, otherwise your hearts are condemned. The condemnation of your own heart is nothing in comparison to the wrath that is coming from God. So in this moment, if you're a Christian and you're struggling with these things, confess those things before God. Confess, give the calluses of your heart over to God and let the grace of God Remove those and take those things away. And for every soul in here, God, would by your spirit, you make known to us the riches of your glory. May we believe, God, that as much emphasis as we place on our own hearts, God, 
place everything on your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.